Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. These miners were, they were represented by leaders who were urging violence as a way to sort out the situation. The preacher slipped a note to the person chairing the meeting asking if they could speak next. One of them got up, a South African, and explained how labor disputes in his own country had been solved. He said arbitration was the answer, not insurrection. He could see hearts starting to soften, and so he asked a fairly random question. He asked, would you like me to sing you a, sing you a tune? And so completely unplanned, he started singing a hymn while the other preacher jumped on the piano that was in the room and played along. It's said that the crowd were completely captivated and swept up in the tide of God's love releasing the song. They, they clamored for more. More than that, the whole purpose of the meeting was defeated and violence was avoided. For the next six weeks, these two preachers held meetings at the theater uh, where locals with blankets and rugs braved the cold weather and set aside their Great Depression woes to line up for a spot in a 700-seat venue. I, I did a bit of research, and I'm pretty sure this is the theater where they met. If we could flick that picture up on the screen, uh, that, that would be amazing. I, I'm pretty, this is a theater in Cessnock. I'm pretty sure this is the one. Um, many of those saved... Um, so what was I saying? Yeah, so over, okay, that's right, 700-seat venue. Over 700 committed their lives to Jesus over the six-week period. And at the final session, 2,000 people turned up to witness 70 new believers get water baptized. I, I did a little, a little bit of digging, and the best I could find about the population for this town in 1929 was a 1921 figure, which was only 9,340 people. So I, I don't know, a best guess, maybe there was 10,000 people in Cessnock. One-fifth of the town came to this last meeting. Many of those saved were activists and leaders at that first meeting like, that the preachers ever walked into, and they took them back to their houses and showed them the Jan jam tin bombs they had built in readiness for their planned uprising, but now had, had no need of. God had moved in this town and in this situation. Now, you may not care about Cessnock. I grew up near it, but the story had miners and South Africans in it, so I figured it would work well in Mantra. Um, but, but, but what we're doing... I love, I love South Africans and miners. Um, but we're asking God, would you move again? Just like you have moved before in the world, just like you moved in Scripture, just like you've moved all across the world, and just like you've moved in Australia, would you move again in our nation? You've done it before. Would you do it again in our lives, in our city, and in our state? I don't know about you, but hearing stories like that, they really stir my faith. I had, Like I said, I grew up near there. I had never, ever Heard of that story in my entire life until I read this book earlier this year. You see, God has done and is doing more than we could ever know. But often we can let discouragement and um, disappointment steal our faith, rob our hope, and leave us thinking that God can't move in our situations. And so we're going we're gonna to get a scripture and we're going to find a man that uh, Jesus has an encounter with. He has been sick and lame for, the Bible says, 38 years. And so this is the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, And after this was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. 
Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which, uh, which in Hebrew, sorry, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. Amazing story, right? Phenomenal miracle. Jesus heals this, this lame man who's been, who's been suffering for, for, for 38 years. There's so much in this encounter that he has with Jesus for us to, to, to learn from. Like I said, he's, he's had this sickness for, for 38 years. It's limited his mobility. Day upon day, year upon year, uh, this man's, uh, you know, he's awoken to pain, discomfort, difficulty. You know, you know uh, maybe he had, you know, engaged with doctors at the time, but they couldn't uh, do anything for him. Uh, maybe he had cried out to God for a miracle, but clearly God had not healed him. Maybe he had hoped that his situation sickness would just improve, but clearly his body had not improved. I, I would argue that for 38 years he had experienced disappointment after disappointment, so much so that by the time Jesus arrived on the scene, he was utterly deflated and defeated. You see, disappointments occur in life, even in the Christian life. When you follow Jesus, I'm sure we've all found this already, uh, you don't get a free pass on disappointments. They happen to all of us. And, and generally, disappointments come when we have an unmet expectation, when we've believed for something and it hasn't come to pass, when we have trusted someone and they've let us down. When we've tried to make something work, we've given it our best shot, uh, but it seems like it just still wasn't good enough. Disappointments come to us all. But you see, the danger of disappointment is that left unchecked, it can permanently embed itself in our lives as discouragement. You see, discouragement could be defined as the state of having lost your confidence or enthusiasm for something. Like that drip of water on a rock, the disappointments in life, they eat away at our confidence and enthusiasm until after a while, we become completely discouraged. We stop seeing disappointing situations as the exception and start to see them as the rule. We stop seeing uh, disappointing situations as moments that happen to us, but as a theme that defines us. And this is probably where that lame man was when Jesus approached him. We aren't sure if this man knew who Jesus was or what he could do, but it's interesting that he was so fixated on getting into that pool as the only way forward that, 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 that he missed, nearly, the almighty Son of God who was filled with power and on high, standing right there. He says, do you want to be made well? And he immediately goes straight to well. The only way that can happen is if I get in here first and blah, 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 all that, all that sort of thing, right? This is, but, but this has just an incredible amount in it of God moving in power 
and moving in strength. You see, it's interesting, this man being healed actually has zero to do with his faith. Did you see that? Just like a sovereign move of God, like just God's sovereign grace to say, you know what? You, rise up and walk. You see, and where he's positioned next to this this pool of Bethesda is actually quite interesting. It was uh, set outside the city walls of Jerusalem and based on the best sort of archaeological evidence that we have, this was not a, he, he, we think he's a Jew, but this was not a Jewish pool that he was waiting be- beside. It was actually a sacred site to a Greek god, uh, the son of Apollo, and he was known as the god of medicine in Greek mythology. And so our best guess is that this man was Jewish, and yet he was not found at a Jewish holy site. Nor was he even found on, like, spiritually neutral ground. He, he was found in the pagan sanctuary looking, looking for a fix for something to happen in his life. You're like, okay, great history, thanks. Why does this matter? Well, well it illustrates that he had abandoned any faith and hope and trust in the one true living God bringing healing to his life. He had began to look to other gods to bring his healing. He had fully brought into the myth, we don't know if it's true or not, that, you know, that an angel or, or a spirit, just because it uses the word angel doesn't mean it was from God, but that would, uh, you know, he'd brought into this myth that it would come down and stir up the water, and then if he got in first, he, he would be healed. That's what he was fixated on. That's what he said when Jesus says, do you want to be healed? I, I wonder for us, are there things we have stopped believing for and actively praying for, not because God's spirit has led us there, but because of disappointment and discouragement of unanswered prayers. Maybe things in our family, maybe things in our bodies, in our lives, that we just think, well, this is just the way it is now. Are there things we have stopped doing, risks we have stopped taking because of the disappointment and discouragement of actions in the past? Have you noticed maybe your believing has changed, not because you've drawn closer to Jesus, but because it helps you deal with the difference between what you see in God's Word and what you see in your life? See, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be laying next to a pool for 38 years placing my trust in a myth of this world to come and bring a miracle or do something or do some change in my life. When if I honestly answered, it's probably not going to happen. Why would I trust in something like that. Can I just take a moment to um, add a bit of balance here and, and, and give you a bit of a, a fuller view as, as, I, as I preach this? Does this mean that if we've prayed for something to happen and it didn't work out, that it must be because we didn't have no faith? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean when bad things happen that we think, oh, if only there was a person there with enough faith, everything just would have worked out fine? Also, no, it doesn't mean that. When, uh, personally, when my uh, close friend's wife passed away from cancer after only being married for a short amount of time, even though we prayed, even though we believed and declared healing, even though we had life group in the, um, in the hospital cafe, believing with her for a miracle, and she still passed away, did, did it mean that we didn't do it right or didn't do enough? Or No, no, it doesn't mean that. It meant that God in his sovereignty saw the bigger picture and had a plan. And even though it was devastating and hard, we come back to, okay, God, we trust that you are faithful. We trust that somehow 
with all the bits that we don't understand about our life and circumstances and things that, that happen, we, we ultimately, we trust you. And for that situation, we have an eternal hope that she is spending eternity with God. You see, we'll, we'll just go down this rabbit hole for, a, yep, two more minutes. You see, there's this balance here, right, between what we might call the, the sovereignty of God, which means that God does what he wants when he wants. He's not defined or limited by our actions or responses. And we, that's actually what we see in this scripture that we worked out, that, sorry, that we read out. This, this lay man seems like he had no faith, seems like he had no belief in Jesus, yet Jesus chooses because of his grace and his love, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal this guy. So on one side, we have God does what he wants when he wants. He doesn't need us to do it. We're his creation. He is creator. He is all-powerful. But then on the other side of like a pendulum or a balance thing, whatever you want to picture, uh, we have human will, actions, motives, attitudes, and how they impact on God's purpose. You see, there's many times in Scripture particularly in the gospel where, people, where, where Jesus responds to people's faith in him. There's a, there's a woman, as one example, we could pick out about 30. There's a woman who has a, an issue of blood for 12 years. She hears about Jesus, and because she believes that Jesus can heal her, she pushes her way through the crowd and says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be made well. She does that. This is a crazy story. If you've been in church for a while, sometimes we hear these and then just go, oh, yeah, I know this one. No, no, we don't know this one. She pushes through the crowd, right? She touches the hem of his garment, you know, whatever he was, he was wearing, a shirt from H&M probably, and she like, you know, he touches it like that, and Jesus goes, hey, what happened? I just felt power go out of me. And, and she's healed. Like, amazing, right? Uh, uh, amazing. Because of her faith, she's healed. So here's my point. When we overbalance on the human response side and think it's about all about our faith and ability to trust God, we get silly and think things like, oh, if only I'd prayed more, declared the right scripture, things would have turned out differently. Someone has the flu and we think, ah, oh, they just need more faith. No, maybe they just need to rest and stay away from the rest of us. You know, whatever. whatever. But also, also on the other side, this is the counterbalance. If we overbalance on the God is in control and he does it all side of things, we say, well, if it's God's will, it'll just happen. I'll just keep doing my thing. I'll let go and let God. By the way, it's not in the Bible. It's just like a funky sort of phrase that Christians have come up with, right? You know, if, I'll, I'll just, God just does what he wants. Or we accept situations and circumstances, and we never take the authority that we have in Christ to push back spiritual powers and forces. And so can I encourage us, what what, what I want to do, because we all have different backgrounds, life experiences, maybe even church traditions that will put us on one side of that balance beam. Does, are you tracking along? Does that, make, does that make sense, right? And so even if you don't have any church background, and it might be your first time in church ever, you may have some form of worldview that's on this pendulum, like, you know, is it all fate? Just whatever happens is going to happen? Or is it all about what I do? And, you know, if I, you know, achieve the most and do this and do this, you'll be able to change the world and change my life and it'll be great, all that sort of thing. We, we all have some, we're all somewhere on this spectrum. And so what I want to do with this message, you're like, you're only just started. No, no, this is, this is getting to the wrap up. Don't worry. But what I want to do with this message is we want to think about all of this 
But I want to push the buttons a little bit of those that have been more on the, well, God just does what he wants side of things. If he wants it to happen, it will happen. Yes, that's true. But also God has called us to step into authority and power that's found in Jesus Christ. God moves uh, in many ways and at many times, but we see over and over again in Scripture, God moves as we put our faith and our trust in Him. He moves as we pray. He moves as we open the Word of God and go, this is not just something that I read to, you know, tick on you version that I've done it for today, but you know what? I'm going to declare this Scripture into my situation, into my family, over my body, just like we sang about. We take communion and we plead the blood. We say, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, I can say that healing is coming upon me. I can say that my children who don't know Christ at the moment are coming home. I can say that my parents, my auntie and uncle that need to be saved are going to come and bow their knee to Jesus Christ because of Christ and his authority. I'm going to step on that side of faith and trust and say, God, come on, come and move in this place. Come and move in my life. Come and move in my situation. So as we wrap up, what are we going to do? Number one is we're going to fix our eyes on the king. Fix our eyes on the king. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 says this, therefore, since we are surrounded uh, by such a uh, great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Back to this man at the pool. He had his eyes fixed on one thing. Get in the pool. Get in there first. That's the only way I'm going to make it through. His eyes were fixed on the conditions and the circumstances that he was in. But he had to lift his eyes and look to Jesus. As Jesus met him where he was at and said, hey, you're going to be made well. Rise up and walk. And maybe that's a word for some people here this morning where you've been, disappointment, where you've been disappointed and disillusioned with different things. I believe Jesus wants to look you in the eye. He wants to say, hey, I'm making a difference. Hey, I'm going I'm to move in that situation. Does that mean you walk out these doors and everything will be perfect? Probably not, but we do have a faith and a trust in God that He will push through, that He will make a difference, that we will see breakthrough in our lives. Who is Jesus? He's the victorious one. He conquered sin in the grave. He is our King. He reigns supreme. And Philippians 2, 9, 11 says this, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It's time to take our eyes off the past, our eyes off the situation, and fix our eyes on the King. Number two, as the, as the band joins me, everyone, everyone can come up, helps me go faster. Uh, number two is this, is we're going to stand on the King's de decrees. So we're going to remember, we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus He's our king, but we're also going to stand on the king's decrees. As followers of Christ, desperate to see God move again, we need, we need to, the Bible is filled with promises that God has made that we can rely on. And so what I'm going to do is I want to give you five. You can maybe take a photo of them or, or write them down. Then in a few moments, we're going to, we're going to take some time to pray. And um, it's not just going to be quiet, reflective prayer. We're going to take the authority that we have 
through Christ. I'm going to speak out and declare the power of God into these areas, into these promises. Maybe there's some other ones that you have as well, but here's, here's five that we picked. Number, promise number one, we can see miracles happen today. We believe it. We can see miracles happen today. John 14, 12 to 13. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me, this is Jesus speaking, will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and we will do it. Maybe you're believing for a miracle in your body or in your situation. I want to tell you right now that we believe in miracles. We believe in the power of Christ to make a difference. We believe that God moves miraculously, that he organizes and orchestrates things that you could that you could never do in your own strength, but because of Christ, we can do them. Promise number two, I've spoke about it a bit already, we can believe for healing. James 5, 14 to 15 says this, if it, is anyone among you sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise them up. We believe for healing. We've seen healing in this church, we're in over the next sort of month or so, we've got a couple of testimonies that we're going to share about healing, about the power of God to see sickness and disease bow its knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a sickness and need healing, we believe through the power of Jesus Christ that you can be healed and made whole. Promise number three, we can believe for provision. We can believe for provision, financial provision. Graham spoke so powerfully about it this morning. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God will generously, will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. We can declare that promise. In fact, from Scripture, that comes as a promise to people who have given. And so as we step into that, um, that obedience, say, God, I'll give that's what you've asked of me, then because of that, I can claim this scripture and I can stand on the promise that my God will supply our needs. Promise four, you can believe for victory in the face of, super, uh, of spiritual and natural opposition. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against you will succeed, and you will refute any accusation raised against you in court. This is the heritage of the Lord's servants, and the righteousness is from me. This is the Lord's declaration. Maybe you're facing some battles in your business, maybe in your marriage, maybe in relationships with your family, and you feel like, hey, I feel like I'm, like I'm, I'm doing the right things, like I'm applying the principles, but there's something, there's something else going on here under the surface that's, that's trying to, it's trying to uh, take out what God's put in in my life or in my marriage. It's trying, to, it's trying to stop this business going forward and being a blessing and being a kingdom business that makes a difference in the world. I want to tell you right now, we have authority in Christ to say that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Promise five. This is the last one. We can believe for peace. We can believe for peace. Great scripture earlier, Chris. We didn't speak, but we got it. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him 
for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as we live in Christ. So what's this? These are five promises that we can stand on. As we're believing for God to move again in our situations, we remember what I said, I want to press your buttons a little bit. If you've been on the side of God, will just do whatever He wants to do when He wants to do it, and I'll just sit back and see and see what happens. No, no. Oh, we want to push into this a little bit more and say, no, we're going to stand and take authority that Christ has given us. So what I'd love us to do, speak of standing, let's stand to our feet right now. Uh, next slide. Thanks, Talia. So how do we stand on these promises? Four things. We remind God of His promise. It's not because He forgets, but it's more so we need reminding ourselves. We say, Lord, You said that no weapon is formed against me. So as I pray, I'm going to say, I'm going to remind You, God, that no weapon formed against me will prosper. Step two, we're going to apply the promise to our situation. We're going to pray into it. We're going to say, I declare right now that no weapon is formed against my marriage, that no weapon is formed against my business, that no weapon is formed against me in my workplace where it feels like everyone's just trying to crowd me out. There's lies and things going on in politics in the background. But God, I declare that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Step three, what do we do? We thank and praise God in faith for the fulfillment. God, I thank you. Father, I thank you for the victory. And step forward, what do we do? We hold fast. Come on, we hold fast. Throughout the day, despite the circumstances, despite the situations, we hold fast to the hope we have and we don't allow ourselves to to give in to the doubt and the dismay. So what we're going to do, next slide, thanks Talia. We're going to take a moment, I know this is small print, but had to do it to fit it all on there. God, I want you to look at these. What's a, what's a promise that you need to start to declare and speak out over your life this morning? Come on, what, maybe, maybe it's healing. Maybe it's something in your marriage that needs to be restored. Maybe it's something over your family. Teenagers, maybe you're struggling at school. And you're like, ah, oh, man, is it the break yet? We know you all think that usually. But like even, you know what I mean, like more than that. But come on, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Come on, where there's, where, there's, um, where there's peer pressure to go a certain way and go the way of this world. Come on, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. So across this place, would you lift your hands right now? We're going to spend a moment in prayer. I'd love you to pick one of those. Would you start to, start to speak out? If you're like, I don't know what to pray, just read that.